0: Hey, welcome to the Highways and Hedges podcast. This is Joe. I don't have Will with me today, but I do have another guest. Tony is with me here today, and uh, I'd like to do this occasionally, bring on guests to uh, talk about bivocational pastoring, just because um, this is more of an assumption right now than anything I assumed in small towns many pastors will have to work another job on the side to supplement the income especially if the church is small and they're not able to fully fund the pastor and so i just like to get wisdom from men who've experienced that to share their wisdom with me and anyone else listening about what bivocational pastoring is like so tony thanks for being here you're very welcome with me today happy to do it um i know you well I, i was trying to think as i drove over here how long we've known each other can you remember even the year that my family came to your church
1: no, I can't.
0: I'm not even sure yeah. what my you were, age. You were was,
1: probably was still junior
0: high, I'm maybe. Probably elementary. before that so grade school. I'm thinking I was nine or ten years old, oh, maybe yeah. eleven. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. And how old are you now? 29. Okay. Yeah. 20 years ago. 20 years. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, so for people who don't know you, I'm going to ask you some questions that I know the answers to, but it would be helpful for others to, just to get to know you. So sure. You want to share with us how long you've been a pastor?
1: Yeah, since 1982. Okay. I was 20 years old. Wow. often say I had no business doing it. <laughs> Did you say that at the time, or is that as you ref- reflect on it now? Yes, yeah, right. I reflect on it. I mean, I, I was not a, uh, I, you know, I didn't jump at the opportunity. Um, the, the, the man who, and you know him, uh, chiefly was responsible for, getting the church started a layman in the church now a deacon um Phil just wouldn't let it drop he was just (laughs) persistent and and kept calling until finally I gave in
0: that's great um so I was going to ask how many churches but you've kind of given it away there it's just been this one church since you said 1982 how many years is that 38 38 years at this one church okay that's right of those 38 years what um how many of those years have you received your primary salary from the church?
1: Uh, hardly any. Okay. In fact, there were, there were many years where I took nothing from the church. Okay. At wow. all. You not yeah. need to. Um, I, you know, in the first few years, I was still in college okay. and um, chasing Melanie. And, <laughs> That's uh, a full-time job. That was Finding a full-time job. Finding a wife, job. yep. And so, yeah, I guess in those, I guess for maybe two or three years, probably, okay. it wasn't much, yeah. but it was probably the majority of what I was making.
0: Okay. Uh, but after
1: we got married and after I finished school, um, you know, I pretty much worked ever since then. Okay. And and I, I would say in all of those years, including now, uh, the majority of my incomes come from elsewhere.
0: Outside of the church? Yeah. Okay, so that's definitely, I wanted to highlight that because that's definitely the kind of situations I'm envisioning many men having to go be at least willing to work um, sure. jobs outside of ministry to support some of the, to pastor in some of these small town areas. Mm-hmm. So just in case anyone listening is not familiar with bivocational pastoring or even the some of the tensions that are there i want to start first by talking about the biblical principles yeah. that you have to wrestle with when you're asking this let me read a couple of passages uh first corinthians nine fourteen says this the lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel so when i read that just with superficial reflection it seems like that's a verse support of full-time paid pastors sure but that should have we should accept that. And maybe it sounds like a command there, too. So it's strong language. But then at the same time, Paul also wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 9, these words. For you yourselves know how you ought to Im- imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So it sounds like there's a good verse supporting bivocational ministry. He's working both in ministry and working on the side. We think Paul was maybe making tents, but there's theories about that. Sure. So you started at 20 years old. When you started, do you think that you had biblical principles that were pushing you towards having money come from outside the church? Or was it more of a pragmatic decision?
1: Yeah, it was It was really a pragmatic decision. I mean, I, I didn't have any other choices at that point. And uh, this, the church was in a rural community of 900 people. Okay. Extremely small. during And, and in a farming community, during a time when farming was, was rough. Uh, it was yeah. hard. Right? Yeah. So my choice in those years was either stay and be by vocational, yeah. or leave and find another place. Yeah. So it was really it, it, it really wasn't some developed uh, meditation on text like this. Yeah. At that time. Right. Interestingly, I just finished preaching on First Corinthians. 9. Okay, right, yeah. So it is very fresh in my yeah, mind. Yeah. Right. And um, so you know that developed later, but initially it, it wasn't it wasn't theological or biblical. It was just a matter of necessity. Yeah. I had a young wife and eventually children and needed to support them.
0: Yeah. Right. And so there must've been some kind of relationship built with the church that kept you committed to them as opposed to thinking, well, I want to go into ministry. This has been a good experience, but I'm going to go ahead and put my resume out there now for a church that can support us full time.
1: Sure. And, and you know, initially like a lot of young guys, that's, that's what I assume my trajectory would be. Yeah. Right. Get this planted, finish up schooling, and then move on to a full-time ministry at some point if this doesn't develop into that yeah, right so that was probably my my initial impression a uh, kind of instinct but uh, you know you fall in love with people and You you develop relationships and you start thinking to yourself You know they they deserve a good pastor. Yeah, they deserve good preaching yeah, and so at some point, you have to wrestle with your ambitions. Yeah. And you have to make some decisions. Um, are, are you wanting to leave because you're merely wanting to extend your brand? You're wanting to get what you perceive to be an easier life. Yeah. And so you begin to kind of wrestle with those ambitions. And, that, and I did. <laughs> there, was a, there was a time joke. Melanie was the same way. We'd get Christianity Today. Oh yeah. Right? Once a month Mm -hmm. or once every two weeks, whenever it came. And in the back of Christianity Today was a marketplace. (sighs) And it's where churches would advertise wanting positions, right? Filled. And Melanie would get the magazine out and she would flip to the back and she'd say, What about this? And what about this? And it wasn't that she didn't love the people in the church. She did. She loved yeah. them very, very much. And you know her. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, when 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 the Lord was creating a pastor's wife, she couldn't have been a better one. Yeah. But I think she she had a certain ambition for me. Yeah. I think she was thinking, you know, I want more people to hear yeah. Tony. Yeah. Right? And, and have a bigger pond mm-hmm. and so you know we just have to wrestle with that yeah if we're going to stay then I'm going to have to always work and are we willing to do that yeah and you know 38 years later here we are yeah
0: right and praise God for that um just while we're still on the principles I'd like to pick your brain on this briefly yeah is being bivocational versus looking for a full-time career or I should just say a full-time paid position as a pastor is that merely up to our preference or when you look at those bible verses do you think no the scripture gives us a little bit more guidance on the decision
1: whether we should decide to be bivocational or not yeah i don't think so so take take first corinthians 9 yeah right so so paul begins the chapter talking about his rights mm-hmm. and the reason that he is is because he's in the middle of a section where paul's talking about Weaker brothers, stronger brothers. And there are, there are, there's a faction, Gentiles, inside the church at Corinth, who are always talking about their rights. Hmm. We have a right to eat what we want. Yeah. We have a right to eat meat that's been offered to idols. So, so Paul in chapter 8 says, look, there are more important things than your rights. Mm-hmm. Love is more important than your knowledge. Yeah. Love is more important than your liberty. And so you have to put your rights in that context. So then he gets into chapter eight and he says three things. He says, we have the right, those of us, Paul and Barnabas, we have the right, first of all, to be married. Yeah, right. I remember that. Is it, is it, is it only Peter that has the right to have a wife and, and other apostles? No, we have that right as well. We have a right to eat. So he's being criticized by the Jewish element at the church of Corinth. Because sometimes he's eating with Gentiles Mm -hmm. and he's not eating kosher. Yeah. Right. So don't we have the right to eat as we wish? And then the third thing is, don't we have the right to be supported in our ministry? Right. And then in that passage that you just quoted, he said, even the Lord says, you know, that a, a, a worker is worthy of the amount of money that he's being paid.
0: Yeah.
1: But then he goes on to say, but there are important reasons as to why we have been willing to give up our right. Now it's an illustration for the church to say, why are you demanding your rights to eat food that's been offered to an idol mm-hmm. when you've got other Christians that are struggling with that idea? If I'm willing to give up these rights, why aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Right? And so um, he he basically defends his, this is strange for us to think it this way, but Paul the great apostle is being criticized by his church, Mm -hmm. uh, which by the incidentally should be be an encouragement to every pastor. (laughs) If Paul Paul gets this kind of criticism, what can you expect going into the ministry? That's exactly right. So it is in that context that Paul says, it's good and right for a church to support those that minister. Right? He even quotes from the Old Testament and says, don't muzzle the ox yeah. that's treading out the grain. But he says, rights aren't as important as freedoms. Yeah. And if you are a slave to your rights, then you're not expressing freedom. Mm-hmm. Your rights are your master. And he says, I'm free to exercise my rights, I'm also free to forego exercising mm. them. And of course, all he's doing here is just imitating the Lord yeah. who in Philippians chapter two, he says, even though he was in the form of God and didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, didn't exercise his rights as God. Yeah. And so he's just saying, I'm that. And he gets to the end of, of, uh, of chapter 10 as he's talking about this and the very first verse of chapter 11 is he, he says that he says be imitators of me as I'm imitating Christ yeah. so anyway that was a long way to answer the question that you have yeah I think I think there is um, there is good biblical reason for churches to want to support their pastors but there are also extenuating circumstances where a pastor may forego that yeah and, and Paul basically gives three reasons why he that was his practice reason number one is that he didn't want any unbeliever to think that he was actually preaching for the purpose of financial gain yeah and this is in a, a time period in Corinth where you yeah. know pagan orators come into town and they pick up collection plates because of their high flying oratory yeah, right. you know chapter 2 Paul says that's not how I came yeah. to you I came in weakness and in fear and much trembling The second reason is that you can then take that money, and he doesn't say this explicitly, but you can then take that money that otherwise would be going to support the pastor, and you can begin to do other things with it. In our case, in our church, there came a point at which we needed to buy a building. This was many, many, many years ago. The building that you first came to, Yeah, Mm yeah. And we were able to set aside some money to, to do that in part because they weren't paying me yeah. what otherwise they would have to if I wasn't working another job. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is when it came time to renovate that building many, many years later, I hadn't been taking a salary for many years. Yeah. And that was able to allow us to put away money, to get everything paid off, and to begin doing renovations. Yeah. So that's the second reason. The third reason is something that Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 10, I mean 9 he says um, I'm not a slave to anyone and in the context of his his willingness to forego income I made this point when I was preaching it um, every pastor is going to have a really important decision to make mm-hmm. there are going to be a few people in his church that are going to give the majority of money right? yeah and if your income is beholden to that wealthy donor, then the, the temptation is to color your preaching and your ministry to cater yep. toward those folks. Partiality. Partiality. Yep. And Paul could say to the Corinthians, I'm free of every man. I'm not slave to anybody yeah. because nobody has their hand in my pocket mm-hmm. I they don't control my purse strings yeah and so those are some of the advantages right. to being bivocational. Mm-hmm. Now it's not to say it's for everybody yeah but it is to say I don't think that the biblical I don't think the biblical text would push us one direction or another. A pastor has a right to expect to be supported by those that he ministers to Jesus said, he should be, mm-hmm. but he also has the freedom to forego that right yeah. if there are other extenuating circumstances. Yeah.
0: Right. So would you be, as I've thought about it, um, I think I would be uncomfortable with a pastor who was unwilling to go by vocational sure. if he was unwilling to forego that right. That I would say I think. Uh, yeah, that, that maybe Scripture would um, challenge him to be willing to. So, mm-hmm. in a situation where he has loved and served a church for some time, and they're struggling, and um, if he instantly thinks, "Well, I can't stay because I want to make all of my money. I want to do this full time," I'm yep. I'm unwilling to, in his mind, stoop or condescend right. to bivocational work. Yeah, I would I would have problems with that. On the flip side, I think I would also have problems with. Um, kind of a a midwestern thriftiness driving a church that is unwilling to fully support a pastor who would say his time studying the word and praying for us is not valuable enough to give him a full time salary and so if there was a church that loves the idea of a bivocational pastor mainly because it saves us money and we don't really value that work i don't know if it's a great place to get the principle from but i've thought of acts where the apostles say we can't spend time serving at tables because we need to be studying God's word so that we can teach you. It's that valuable that we can't even, we can't even do something as important as service in Christ's size, serving tables because we need to study the word and pray. I've just thought I'd like to continue challenging churches, even if they're not able to fully support a pastor, that's fine. But if they're not willing, there's probably a bigger issue going on there because according to Paul, Christ commands that those who work for the gospel should get their living by the gospel, and so there should be some, some direction from Scripture there for churches. It's not just them deciding. Yeah, we don't like spending the money on that. Or in the examples you gave, we have other things we'd love to spend the money on. Our pastor is able to pastor us well, bivocationally. vocationally. Let's set that money aside for these other things. That that would be another healthy, healthy way to go about it. Yeah.
1: yeah, you know the you know the deacon's prayer, right? I don't know, Lord you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good.
0: Okay. I'll remember that one. Um, so I want to jump now more to, from principles, more to practical wisdom yeah, to sure. start pulling on your experience. And this one will be more for guys who are considering bivocational pastoring. I just think that it's easy to imagine some of the Uh, The theory of getting into it It's easy to imagine Okay, I just have less time For pastoring in the week I have divided interests Those kind of things And so I would like to try to pull on your experience though To help us actually see the costs and blessings Kind of in a flesh and blood example So they can weigh that Count the costs before they get into it And so I'd like if you can think of one To share an instance Where you keenly felt the constraints of your other vocation you really felt prohibited from ministering as much as you wanted to in a situation
1: yeah so I'll I'll give you I'll give you a real-world example that happened um, I don't know maybe it's been 15 years ago Mm -hmm. you were in the church when it happened so you'll know immediately what I'm talking about Um, I've always been in sales of some kind and and by the way it's it's a great profession because you've got some flexibility mm-hmm. you know if you're yeah. working a factory job and that may be what you have to do yeah but if you're working a factory job you're expected to be there from you know let's say 8 to 5 and you've got two weeks vacation and there's not a lot of flexibility right. for funerals for emergency hospital visits for you know whatever the case may be right whereas if if you can if you can do your own thing be your own boss or at least work in an industry where you've got that kind of flexibility it's really helpful
0: yeah that makes sense
1: so I got off the plane in San Diego California drove up to La Jolla beautiful place <laughs> one of the most beautiful places on earth and um, so I'm there um, for maybe six hours and I get a call from one of our elders that his son has just been killed in a car accident right so here I am in California at a sales meeting um, of of the leadership of our organization and you know I'm expected to be there and um, at that moment I had to make a choice and in a situation like that I you know I went to my boss and I said look I'm sorry I have to bail and here's what happened and he said, absolutely, I understand that, go. I mean, they, they all knew I was pastoring, they all yeah, knew yeah. my other obligations. And so, you know, that's probably just one in dozens of times where something happened where I had to immediately drop what I was doing and go attend to it. Yeah. That just happened to be the most, the, the most crucial kind of crisis moment yeah, right. in, in, yeah. my, in my um profession yeah and so I mean that's the that's the first one that kind of yeah that's comes to mind yeah
0: um, I want to also think though about the blessing of bivocational work and Paul even mentions there in 2nd Thessalonians for them I chose to do it to be an, an example it wasn't that I was actually neglecting discipling you by working my working was discipling you yeah. I was showing you things yeah. about the worth of the gospel and the worth of serving Christ by working all day and then teaching late into the night and doing that over and over and never asking you for food without paying for it, um, he was doing he was doing ministry to that body of people yeah. by not receiving money from them. So, are there any times that you felt like by being bivocational, you were actually flexing the muscles of discipling by? by not being there and and doing more formal, I shouldn't say formal, but more like one-to-one discipling. You were foregoing opportunities to sit and read the Bible with people, sit and counsel people, Mm -hmm. but were there times that even though you were foregoing that you were able to see, but my work did provide an opportunity, it did minister to people by doing that?
1: Well, I think at the the high level, um, one of the challenges that any pastor has Is getting the congregation to understand you haven't hired me to do the work of the ministry yeah you are to do the work of the ministry Mm -hmm. I'm to equip you for that purpose Mm -hmm. and so I think that there's I think that there is a temptation in some congregations who have a full-time vocational minister or a staff of ministers to think that's what we pay them for yeah right whereas when you're a bivocational and they know you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week in addition to the ministry work,
0: yeah.
1: it kind of takes away an excuse on their part to say, well, you know, I work a full-time job. I can't be expected yeah. to minister. Well, if the pastor himself is doing that, then he set an example, as Paul, Paul says. Now, yeah. you know, so with Thessalonians, you've got an issue there where there are some people who've kind of checked out on life. They're certain that the return of Christ is coming.
0: Mm-hmm. They may
1: not be working and um, and so he's he's saying to them look until the Lord comes we've all got to be busy yeah but yeah absolutely it, I think I think the example just setting the example of somebody that is working long hours and many of those years I was working 50, 60 hours it wasn't just a 30 or 40 hour job
0: yeah
1: I was working long hours traveling a lot and yet still had to do ministry mm-hmm. so you know whatever it is you're doing, um, you really have no excuse for checking out and not yeah. doing ministry in church. Yeah.
0: Right. No, that's, that's very rich, a very good example. Um, so let me shift now to those who might already be in a bivocational situation. Yeah, I want to give some practical wisdom to them. Uh, my assumption, cause I'm not doing it, um, is that, bivocational pastoring relies really heavily on being able to get your priorities straight sure. because you have limited time. With the limited resources, let's devote time to what matters most and not to other things that are end up being a waste of time. So let me give an extreme example um, just because I think it will help us highlight the most important. What's the foundation of a pastor's role? And then maybe I'll ask for some more yep. uh, concrete examples from your life. Let's imagine a guy who is... Um, raising a a family working full-time and there's a small-town church that he's pastoring and he only has five hours a week that he can devote to ministering to this church what should those five hours go to
1: well um, it's gonna I'll be honest with you it's gonna be very hard to really pastor a church with only five hours yeah you're gonna have to find more than that okay but um, if you only have five it should be in the study okay and here's the way I think of it God ordains certain activities as the means of our discipleship we like to talk in our church all the time about the ordinary means of grace yeah now there are extraordinary means of grace too. thank the Lord Mm -hmm. surprising ways in which he works outside of these ordinary means but these these are the ones that he has told us are his priority for the church and the preaching of the word is right at the top of that list. You can can miss your small group studies. You can maybe not be involved in the college group, Um, but if you are regularly missing the gathering of the people of God on Sunday morning, and as central to that gathering, the preaching of the word, then you're not going to grow in sanctification. It just isn't gonna happen. So, you know, let's say I've got a congregation of 225 people. How many hours a week would it take me to get through that congregation to have time to instruct them? Whereas on, in one hour every week, I have all of them right. in that, that place. Yeah. And they have come expecting to hear something from the word. So if you're if you're if you're gonna give up anything, give up the hospital visits, give up the in-home visits, but do not give up the study yeah. and the preparation of the word. Yeah. That is the most important part of your discipling of your congregation, is what happens in the pulpit. Yeah. And here's here's what I have noticed, okay, and this is true of vocational pastors as well as bivocational. It tends to be the least important part of their priorities. Mm-hmm. The, study, the, yeah, study right. the study does. The study does. I don't know why that is. <laughs> they're, they're busy organizing and they're busy, uh, you know, seeing people and, and maybe it doesn't come easy to them. Maybe it's harder for them. They're a people person. They like to be with people. They like yeah. to have staff meetings. They like to organize the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday night, they are, they're, you know, they're frantically trying to put together a mm. sermon for Sunday morning. Mm. That is exactly the opposite of the way it should be, mm. from my perspective. Yeah, right. So, don't neglect your time in preparation for the preaching.
0: So, let's just say, in this extreme example where the pastor only had five hours a week, mm. you have faith in God's Word that if that pastor was only in this study for five hours a week preparing that sermon, and then preach that on Sunday, that it would create what we were talking about earlier, a body of people who do the work of ministry, instead of this one man being expected to do all of the discipling that a church should be doing, all the evangelism that a church should be doing, all those other ministries that are really good, and if you can set aside a salary for a man to devote more energy to is a rich thing to do. If he's preaching the word, God... God will do the work in people's hearts to create a whole body of ministers through that preaching, yeah. and that's that's the that's the core foundation work of a pastor is to be able to provide that life through his preaching preaching of his sermon on a Sunday.
1: And I think I think for your ministry, Joe, and what you envision in trying to help these pastors in, in small communities, kind of coming alongside of them, one of the most important things I think you can be for them is a Jethro, hmm. and and to sit down and say. How how well are you delegating mm. responsibilities? Why are you trying to do everything yourself?
0: Mm. That's
1: not how the body is supposed to function. So find people who you can get engaged in a lot of these activities so that, as you said a moment ago from Acts chapter six, the most important thing you can do is give yourself to prayer yeah. and to the ministry of the word. Yeah. So, you know, you're gonna have to be that wise Jethro voice to to a lot because you know I, I have the advantage of having a church that has is is biblically literate has some theological depth i think has a pretty good idea and even in that setting we don't have 80% of the people doing you know 80% of the work mm-hmm. it, it's not yeah so if you've got a guy out there who is in a church that has been around for 120 years with people that have been members all of their life yeah and their idea of ministry is let's go get somebody that we can hire to make sure that when we're in their hospital they come see us yeah and bury us and marry our kids and those kinds of things that's what we're paying them for yeah well it's going to take a while yeah to reorient that kind of thinking Mm -hmm. but if he's going to be successful in his in his ministry he's going to see fruit in his ministry that it's going to have to take place. Mm -hmm. Because if he's pulled away from the study so that he shows up on Sunday morning and he really doesn't have a pretty good idea of what that passage is about and how to communicate it well, um, he's He's going to be frustrated, they're going to be frustrated, and little is going to get done for for the Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's really helpful. Um, So then let's talk about some someone with more time in their week, your situation. I want to use your, your example to help us think about this. If preaching is the top of the priority list, this next question can be other things lower on the list. So I'm, I'm just trying to think of, help us set some of our priorities straight. We're, we're gonna be tempted to have certain things high on the list. Yeah. So I'll give you an example just from my generation. What prompted this question is like, it can feel really, uh, feel really meaningful and important to get on Twitter. And yep. keep up to date with every new blog that has come out and every yep. quibble that's happening between celebrity preachers. And then have your little two cents to throw in there and hope you gain a few extra followers for that. that, that that's instant feedback. There's numerical mm-hmm. measurement of how meaningful that was. It feels a lot harder to schedule another coffee. With you know, and sit down with um, someone in your church and have what feels like the the, the, convert, the same conversation for the hundredth time about trying to strengthen their faith, sacrifice, and follow Jesus on the path of discipleship. And so it's easy to move things up the priority list that, yeah. uh, for whatever reason, internally confirmed to me that this was a meaningful thing, way to spend my time, and instead of throw myself into harder things. But I'm hoping that because of the the years of experience that you have, and because you've always wrestled with less time than a full-time salary to pastor, that you could give us some insight on, here are some things that early on I gave my time to, and I thought these were important, and now I'm looking back and seeing there were actually other things that maybe by happenstance I was doing, but I'm seeing now that was the more meaningful way to spend my time. That needs to move higher up our priority list and put some of these other things farther down. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I, I think the first guiding principle in this is to remember who it is you're pastoring. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not pastoring somebody in California that's yeah. listening to you on sermon audio. Yeah, you're not pastoring somebody who has been reading your blog post in the state of Oregon. Um, Someone listening to your great podcast. Somebody listening to this phenomenal <laughs> podcast and going, "Who are these geniuses?" And, and so, if if you have to, you just have to ask yourself. Okay, am I putting too much time and effort into people that don't know me Mm -hmm. and I don't know and I can't possibly help? So I I hardly ever get on social media myself. I read social media, but I don't tweet and I don't have a Facebook account and I don't blog, right? And, and I, that's been a conscious choice. It may be something that I change in the future, but up to this point, it's become a, it's a, been a conscious choice because I think I know my heart well enough to know that I'm, a, I'm, I'm enough of a narcissist that if I went down that path, mm-hmm. I would lose sight of what God's called me to, yeah. which is this particular church body. I would start thinking about, if I'm going to get a... Invitation to speak at a conference somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, the older I get, the, the more um, I'm not very sanguine about the evangelical celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of social media is. Okay, yeah. so anyway. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I think you have to think, I have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to the people that I have been called to serve. So, what advances that? And what takes away from that, um, chiefly, I have a responsibility for oversight as a as a pastor. Yeah. So that includes everything from how the deacons are functioning, to you know the the, the worship service itself, and then of course all of the unexpected counseling, and uh, hospital crises. Deaths mm-hmm. that just pop up and and are never expected. I mean, you, occasionally you know somebody's been sick for a while and you know it's coming, but you, you're never ready for that phone call that you get. Sometimes in the middle of the night. So those those are the things that are going to occupy a lot of your time, right? And if you're able to join in and play softball with you know the, the guys once a week, great. But if you can't, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you can have people in your home on a regular basis, elders are supposed to be given to hospitality. Yeah. So if you can have people in your homes, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a devotional. It doesn't have to be a time of prayer and, and singing. In our house, we play games a lot. Okay. And we get people in, and it's just a way for them to know me and I to know them. And informally find out more about what's going on in your life yeah here's the danger for by vocational pastor especially someone that's not living in the community Mm. okay so they're living where their work is and then they're driving 30 minutes a few times a week to the church which may be more common than I realize it may be common in a situation like that it's gonna be very hard to know what's actually going on in the life of those people yeah and ministry is never done at a corporate level it's done at an individual level mm-hmm. they may be sitting out there but they're individuals who are listening to you with their own particular needs their own particular sins their own particular temptations yeah. and part of your responsibility as a pastor is to get to know those things mm-hmm. I have not done that well over the years mm-hmm. I mean I, you know um, it's always going to be a struggle yeah. some people are just people person some people would rather be stuck away in their their study mm-hmm. right I'm a little of both mm-hmm. I enjoy being around people but it isn't if, if I go a week without having you know interaction of coffee or something like that it's easy for me to do that yeah that's that's not hard for me to do so you just have to continually tell yourself this is the congregation I've been called to and how well do I know them mm-hmm. so I can now begin to preach not at them but with their concerns in mind. Mm-hmm. I think I did this a lot when I was a younger preacher. You read, to your point earlier, you read of debates that are going on within Evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Struggles that people are having elsewhere. And the tendency is to think, my congregation needs to know all about that. yeah. And I've got to warn them about all of those things. And they're looking at you with glassy eyes like, you know, I'm having a hard time making my mortgage payment. My child is just got diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah. I don't care that there's somebody out in, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest who is an authoritarian, totalitarian guy <laughs> who's who's making a mess of things. Yeah. You know. Now that doesn't mean that those are never issues that come up, because that guy might be having a profound impact through his books and his preaching and his podcast and all of the rest on your congregation. And you need to know that. But the only way you can know that is if you have some face-to-face interaction with people. Exactly. So, and then, then you can go, okay, here's what's going on in my congregation in their, in their, their mind. Yeah. And that's never more an issue right now with the proliferation of social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah. I, I I think the overarching thought is my main responsibility is for preaching and prayer and equipping the congregation to do the work of the ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, I always talk about the congregation in three forms. You got the you got the core that are producers, to use economic terms. Mm-hmm. You've got the core that are producers. In most churches, it's twenty percent of your congregation doing eighty percent of the work—the okay. the Pareto principle. Yeah, right. Then, around them, you've got the consumers. They're not really working in the church. They're not really giving themselves to it. They're basically taking, and they've taken a consumerist approach to church. As long as you're giving me what interests me, I'll be here. Yeah. If you stop, I'm going to be somewhere else. Yeah, right. And then outside of that, you have, hopefully, a steady group of non-Christians that are being invited by people to come to church, that are listening to the word, that over time the Lord will do work and and bring them to conversion. Yeah. Okay, so that middle group has different needs than, uh, the center group has different needs than the middle group. Okay, Yeah. yeah. And they have different needs than the unbelievers that are out there. Right. So part of your work as a pastor is you're you're encouraging and helping to guide the producers. You're trying to help the consumers realize you're just dating the church right now. Yeah. Get married. Yeah. And 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 start living as a as a faithful spouse. Yeah. And then you have to do the work of an evangelist with those people that are coming that week in and week out are, are regular there, but they're not yet believers. Yeah, right. And so uh, part of the role of the pastor is just consistently thinking about those three groups and how can I encourage the middle group that you're you're, you're really doing a wonderful job. Thank you for your work. Yeah. And then continuing to exhort that middle group the the middle group to, to get after it.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that would be really helpful to at least just hear your your perspective on real quick, um, is of those three groups, as a bivocational pastor, because your time is limited, Mm -hmm. how much thought space and hours per week do you want to, I shouldn't say how many, but which of those do you want to prioritize? I I think the normal way this question is asked is, what is the church Sunday gathering for? Who are they for? Are they for the believer? Are they for the unbeliever? The reason I'm bringing it up is because I think it's easy to um, feel the pressure to want People saved for good reasons and for bad reasons, you know. And I'm thinking of the bad reasons to want our church to grow in numbers gives us some kind of affirmation, and so it's going to be naturally where our mind drifts to thinking, okay, I want to structure the service in a way that these unbelieving people that I've met in my neighborhood would be willing to come, and we're going to add to the numbers. It would be encouraging to the church to have people baptized, so I'm going to spend most of my energy meeting people for coffee, doing evangelism, and then thinking about questions the unbelievers are asking. Try to answer those in my sermons. You know, sometimes people are shortening the length of their sermons so that the service is more palatable for a non, non, un, unchurched people. Um, but just in your years of bivocational experience, how do you want to prioritize who you think about and spend your time with? That group of producers, the consumers, or the unbelievers?
1: Okay, so there's there's really as I see it there are two questions here first of all what is the what is the gathering of the church for Mm -hmm. okay what's what's its main purpose and I would argue that first and foremost it's not for any of those three groups it's for the Lord yeah right we're there to bring him praise honor and worship and we are ordering our church our worship service according to the commands that he's given you know and in theological terms this is known as the regulative principle yes right yep. that the Lord himself says these are the elements of what right worship is so if you start with that approach then it really helps you to avoid what I think is a pitfall that you're you're constantly trying to um, you're constantly trying to change your service so that larger and larger numbers of people are comfortable with it and want to show up. Yeah. Right. If if you chase the church hoppers, you're you're gonna frustrate not only yourself, but you're gonna frustrate your congregation. Mm-hmm. Because the people that are there for two years until a church down the street is doing something more dramatic with more money, mm-hmm. better lights, better sound, yeah. you know, the, all that. If you're always chasing that group of people, well, your group of people, the people that are, are, are faithful are going to really grow aggravated by that. And they should. Yeah, They should. Yeah. But beyond that, it is, it is this, the gathering of God's people is for the worship of our Lord And and worshiping him as he says we ought to be worshiped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, outside of that gathering, I will tell you that even though you want to spend most of your time with the 20% that are doing 80% of the work, Mm -hmm. you'll find that your schedule gets most interrupted with the most emails and the most texts and the most calls from the other circle mm. yeah and I don't know why that is mm. If they had more time on their hands <laughs> maybe one of the reasons they're not as engaged as they ought to be is because yeah. they've got all these questions that are coming up you know yeah. and that can be frustrating and you have to you have to guard against that as a pastor to becoming bitter mm. you know this person hardly does anything in our church but they're constantly sending me emails and wanting answers yeah and they want more and more my time all the time and that can be frustrating so ideally you want to spend your time with the producers and 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 increase that size, Yeah. help them to reach out to the consumers right. and kind of bring them in. You're
0: equipping them for the work of the ministry exactly. so that they're the ones going out and pulling in yeah.
1: consumers into a producer. That's right. Practically speaking, you spend a lot of time with the consumers. Yeah. There's yeah. more of them. They have more needs. They're not as mature. Um, they just demand more of you.
0: Yeah. That makes sense, and so in some ways you'll have to you'll have to learn when to say no, yeah, absolutely. so that you can yeah. prioritize some time with the producers. You don't want to just burn people out in the producer category. You don't want those mature Christians to right. to not be cared for. I liked the way you described it earlier that all three groups have different needs, because that I think that gives us an opportunity to say there's a way for me to love. All of these people. Love is what drives my interactions with all of them. Right. And loving the mature ones is encouraging them. Loving the uh, consumers is many times going to be admonishment. Yeah. Many times is going to be saying, no, I don't have time for that. Why don't you meet with yeah. and name another mature member of the church or something like that. And loving the unbelievers is preaching the gospel to them. I think one pastor has said, I want the... Uh, I want my Sunday morning service to be clear to unbelievers, but not necessarily comfortable. I don't want them to feel like this is a, just another event that they're in the secular world, you know, comfortable with. I want them to understand what's happening, but I don't want to try to accommodate all of their preferences and desires. And that's love. I just like, like I said, you've described it as those are different needs that each of them have, and it's love that addresses each of those.
1: And if you're preaching, if you're preaching gospel-centered messages, then those unbelievers are going to regularly be confronted with the claims of Christ. Yeah. And they're going to be called. I mean, I often, in the message, will call people to turn from their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, you don't have to ignore them in the service, but I think it's a mistake to cater to them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's what the gathering is meant to be. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Well, I think this was really helpful for me. Good. I trust it will be helpful for anyone else who listens to it as well. And uh, just want to thank you for giving us your time. You're welcome. Thank you.